0: Welcome to a new episode of the Upbeat Dietitian's Podcast. We've got a brand new guest today. We've got Samina Karishi with us on the pod. Uh, Samina is the founder and registered dietitian at Wholesome Start LLC, which is a weight inclusive GI nutrition practice based in Houston, Texas. She
1: specializes in helping people who struggle with irritable, irritable bowel syndrome, also known as IBS. She helps them find relief and nurse their bodies without rigid diets, stress, stress, guilt, or shame. Samina respects body diversity and encourages her clients to care for their health in a gentle way that best honors their lifestyle, unique needs, and cultural traditions. Through nutrition coaching, her clients are able to heal their relationship with food, find relief with their uncomfortable gut symptoms, and support long-term gut health. We are so excited to share this episode with you guys enjoy enjoy hello samina welcome to
0: the podcast hey thanks so much for having me i'm excited to chat we are so excited to have you here this is our first time getting into this topic so our listeners are going to love this we know that ibs is very common so i think it'll be a episode that has a far reach hopefully but before we get into the juicy IBS stuff, walk us through a day of the life, what you do for work, hobbies, all that fun stuff. Yeah,
2: so I am a local Texan. I've lived and worked here for quite a while. I think something that Emily and I have in common is that I lived in Chicago for a little while, so um, came back though. So here in Texas, I um, work 100% virtually in my private practice called Wholesome Start, where I um, help people learn how to find relief from IBS with outraged diet, stress, guilt, or shame. I um, am married, have a daughter and a dog. And um, once this weather cools down, I'm just really excited to like go on walks and be outside again. How
1: how hot is it, is it there? Are you? Because Hannah and I have typically pretty similar weather. <laughs> But you're in Texas. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I actually lived in Indiana for a summer. So yes, the summers are like really hot there too. Um, In Texas and Houston specifically, it's been in like the hundreds to 109 uh, for the past like three or four months. Which is (laughs) unusual. Yeah. 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 Like this week, it finally came down to 99. And in the mornings, it's like in the 80s. And I'm like, oh my gosh, winter.
0: (laughs) okay what are winters like though like is what's like the coldest it ever gets where you live
2: it gets like freezing so like 30s yeah but not until like january february like it stays relatively good weather from like good weather meaning 70s and lower um probably starting november Mm. that's so wild
0: that's so wild as a midwestern mind is blown yeah
2: (laughs)
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: oh my so God.
2: Texas is warm.
1: <laughs> well, I hope it does cool down soon for you. Cause yeah, as as, it is nice to go outside and not sweat mm-hmm. profusely and melt.
2: Oh yeah. yeah, for sure. So that's been a really big bummer for me this, this year is just like not having as much outdoor time, especially with like mm-hmm. a little one. Yeah.
1: It's very much precious time, especially when they're young and they want to run around, but yeah. You don't want them yeah. to melt away. <laughs> keep, them, <laughs> keep them hydrated and cool.
2: For sure. I'm excited to chat a little bit more, or how I like to say is um, shit talk a little bit.
1: Because I Because IBS
2: is all about our bowel movements and our bowel habits. So for anyone here, I am not shy about talking about it, right? All of the symptoms. So I'm Let's jump into right into it, it
1: then. Let's yeah. start it right off. We So they know we're talking about IBS today, but what exactly is IBS? I feel like there's kind of all these different interpretations of what it is, but yeah. so, what would you define it as?
2: IBS stands for irritable bowel syndrome. It affects about 10 to 15% of adults in the United States It's known as a functional GI disorder or a disorder of gut-brain interaction. The predominant characteristics are abdominal pain along with a range of symptoms that affect your bowel habits and frequency, right? So you can have IBS with constipation, you can have IBS with diarrhea, or you could get super lucky and you can get diarrhea and constipation, and that's called IBS mixed. So um, yeah, IBS is really fun. It really impacts your, um, quality of life as well, because a lot of my clients struggle with not wanting to leave their home, being uncomfortable, ordering at restaurants, not knowing what to eat. And, um, yeah, it, it can be really, really rough.
0: Yeah. And as we'll get in today to kind of, I guess, give a little bit of a spoiler diet culture too, can play a big role in this as well. So like not only is it already confusing enough because it's seemingly sometimes like a very random thing where you're not even sure like how foods are going to affect you. And patients always tell me like one day they can have eggs the next day they can't, it just totally depends. But we also have that diet culture component too, where that can make it worse, which I guess is a perfect segue. Like you mentioned you know weight inclusivity and food freedom and all of that how how do you see with your clients that diet culture does make ibs worse how does it trigger those symptoms oh my
2: goodness in so many ways i mean mm-hmm. you just look at tiktok or any social media and what do you see it's all about restriction eliminating things eliminating gluten never touching dairy Um, and really IBS is a multifactorial condition, meaning that it is impacted by multiple lifestyle factors, including what you eat. And so diet culture can play a role in possibly you skipping meals and that making your symptoms worse because what happens when we skip meals, right? The only logical thing for our bodies to do when we skip meals or go long periods of time without eating is to then when you have an opportunity to eat. Eat in large quantities very quickly, and simply eating in large quantities in a short period of time very quickly without chewing enough can lead to these symptoms that you are already struggling with. So, absolutely, ditching diet culture, finding food freedom, working towards healing your relationship with food in itself can can help so much with finding relief from your GI symptoms. And that's my first line approach with my clients: is making sure that they're not getting um, confused with what diet culture and wellness influencers are putting out there around what supports good gut health and coming back to the basics of having enough food regularly throughout the day and eating a variety of things that they enjoy.
1: Hannah and I talk about wellness culture all the time, but I feel like just the world of gut health is crazy, especially online. The things I've seen on there are, I feel like you could find any argument and it'll somehow cure your, your gut.
2: Oh, absolutely. And like now all of these influencers, like, um, promoting different supplements, like green powders or Mm -hmm. like just list of like magic cure, all gut health supplements or tonics. Um, and my clients come in with lists of supplements, Mm. right. Thinking, I mean, Yeah, that this is really going to help them, but in fact, it may be contributing to their symptoms, especially if these products like the greens um, powders or even if you're having like a fiber one bar, right? These things are fortified with some fibers that may not be tolerated for those who have IBS.
1: That's. I'm really glad you brought up the greens powders because I feel like that is one of the biggest ones that will like surefire be there. If they're talking about gut health, they're taking their greens every morning. Why? Oh, yeah. What about the greens powders for like for our audience? Like, what about that potentially? You talked about like kind of the fiber component, but how can that potentially cause more harm with someone with IBS?
2: Absolutely. So, like I said earlier, for those with IBS who may also struggle with their relationship with food, oftentimes I see people because of diet culture and just their, you know, um, history with possibly disordered eating or eating disorders. Um, For them, the goal is to eat as little as possible. And what these greens powders do is offer your body, offer yourself an ability to meet certain needs, whether it be micronutrient or fiber needs without having to consume foods. But the thing about the supplement industry is that they're not very tightly regulated. They're not doing third-party testing unless the company itself is paying for it to be tested for efficacy and quality and um, actually have the ingredients in the product that they claim it does. So I'm very weary to recommend supplements, whether it be a greens powder or anything like that, um, because we just don't know how it's going to impact your GI system. Um, Another thing is that many of these greens powders, the fiber enriched or fortified sodas and these fiber one bars have inulin or chicory root as their source of fiber, right? And these are high FODMAP gas producing fiber sources, which, are very healthy, right? For people who don't have IBS and aren't sensitive to FODMAPs, go for it, enjoy it. If you like it, you like it, no big deal. But for people with IBS, if you are trying to, of course, increase your fiber needs, um, but don't know what types of fiber may be most beneficial for you, it can it can really set you back or send you into an IBS flare that is miserable.
0: I'm glad you brought up the, the sodas because those are also, as we all know, very popular right now. And wellness culture. And even us dietitians will say like fiber is really great. Like a lot of us don't get enough fiber. We need more of it. And that can be a fine way to get it in, in my opinion. But like you said, it's all about the type of fiber with IBS and the sources and quantities and all of that. So I'm so glad you brought that up because I don't think that more fiber is always going to be better, especially if you have IBS that you're dealing with.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's so important to know what type of fiber. Fiber is going to suit your symptoms. With IBS and dietary management, you're really trying to figure out how your symptoms present and then how to manage those specific symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're talking about fiber, if you struggle with IBS diarrhea predominantly, you're gonna wanna focus more on like the soluble fiber to help bring that poop together and have it Mm -hmm. pass easily. And then if you're constipated, you want a combination. Of course, you always want a combination of soluble and insoluble fiber, but the insoluble fiber will help to bulk that stool up and kind of stimulate the colon and help you go. So yeah. And then on top of that with fiber, we talk about FODMAPs, right? Which are fermentable carbohydrates that draw in liquid into the um, GI system. And then that causes some distension and abdominal pain. And then the Fermentation that goes on with those fermenta- fer- fermentable carbohydrates causes that excess gas and bloating, and additional stomach pain, and possibly the diarrhea and constipation. So, there's a lot to it, and that's why dietitians exist to help you figure out what to do in the in the world of nutrition without getting sucked into diet culture.
1: Yes, I am really glad you actually brought up the different types of fibers. Would you be able to quickly provide some examples of just insoluble versus soluble in case people don't know or didn't know there were different types of fibers and what they could look for?
2: Soluble fiber includes sources like oats, peas, beans, apples, carrots, psyllium husk fiber, citrus fruits, and then, um, sources of insoluble fiber. You can think of like whole wheat flour, whole grains, wheat bran, nuts, beans, cauliflower, potatoes. And so they both serve as great sources of fiber with different pro- properties in the GI system. Um, and depending on what type of symptoms you experience, um, some fibers will be better
0: tolerated than others. That's so helpful. Thank you for sharing that. And I like how you mentioned like how both are still important and especially for those who aren't struggling with anything GI related. I always say just like generally try to eat a wide variety of foods. If fiber is an issue for you incorporate, you know, more high fiber foods in general, and you likely will get a decent combination of both soluble and insoluble and insoluble. Absolutely. For sure. Well, Speaking of wellness culture, again, we really, really want to talk to you about food sensitivity tests because those are such a huge thing as well with wellness culture. People, I know Emily has some experience. Maybe you should share on this, Emily, before I go into a whole spiel. I'd love to Um, hear. They're very popular and I I definitely want to get more into it. But Emily, do you want to kind of share your experience with them first? Yeah,
1: I'm very excited to talk about this because I have a lot of past background with food sensitivity tests and we've been waiting to talk to someone about this because pers- my personal experience with my limited time, limited time with it, but I can't even imagine how much you had to work with it or talk about it. It was just such a big part of wellness culture. It was, it's still really popular and we just need to talk about like the validity of it and- okay what goes on with it. So, what are your thoughts on food sensitivity tests? What are your thoughts on kind of the elimination diet versus like or versus an at-home test? But we can start off with those multiple questions in that. We'll just start off with the food sensitivity tests first and foremost what are your thoughts yeah
2: so um my thoughts are that just like you i've seen a lot of people come into my practice saying okay this is a list of foods i can no longer eat because i've taken a igg antibody food sensitivity test and then i talk to them about it you know and try to explain to them the validity of these tests um, igg food sensitivity panels are not reliable ways to determine whether or not you're truly sensitive to a specific food right the IgG antibody response is actually indicative of foods you commonly consume, not foods that you are sensitive to. So for example, me, Samina, taking a food sensitivity test, I regularly eat eggs, wheat, dairy, corn, all of the foods. I literally eat everything. And um, if regularly I'm having eggs, dairy, and wheat, more, most likely I will be sensitive on that test to eggs, dairy, and wheat simply because of the way the test is designed to show which foods you commonly consume. And so it is a great way for companies to profit off of people's insecurities for people to um, then create this fancy diet where you're only allowed to eat three foods that you're not sensitive to and um, sell you meal plans based off of this and really profit off of you. Um, there's no validity to them. The best way to determine a food sensitivity is by partnering with a dietician who can help you navigate your symptoms with a food and symptom journal, right? And help you develop a strategic elimination diet where, okay, you say that you're sensitive to dairy, right? Let's just take that easy one. We eliminate it from your diet for maybe one week. And then the next week we reintroduce high High lactose-containing dairy foods, right? Ice cream, milk, cottage cheese for three days and then see how your symptoms are for the rest of that week. So three days on and three days off of that food. Um, if you have severe symptoms like excessive um, diarrhea, just extreme gas, stomach pain, bloating, okay, you probably have a sensitivity. Can we work on including dairy still in your diet and not completely eliminating it, but adding lower lactose foods, like the harder cheeses, some lactose-free milk, lactose-free yogurt, etc. cetera, right? And do you still have symptoms with those? If not, awesome. We've determined that you have possibly a lactose intolerance and um, without doing the breath test, but on a food and symptom journal, Way of discovering this, and we are still going to introduce lower lactose dairy to your diet. So, yeah, the elimination style diet and that reintroduction may not be recommended for all people since it can be overly restrictive in some ways and not be a good fit for those who struggle with disordered eating and eating disorders. Um, but, yeah, you definitely want to talk with a registered dietitian who focuses on um, helping people expand their diet while identifying their digestive distress.
0: That's just such a more, hopefully freeing approach for the patient or client too, because it doesn't involve cutting out all these things willy nilly, like the food sensitivity test will kind of tell you like, again, based on whatever you ate, which if you eat a wide variety of foods, it's going to really suck when you see the results say that you have to cut out 15, 20 different things. So hopefully this is really getting through to those who maybe are stuck in that spot that feel just like frustrated. They're like, I've had to like cut all these foods out. Hopefully now they know that maybe they don't actually have to do that. It can be a harder process maybe to go through and like test and eliminate and rinse and repeat kind of thing. But mm-hmm. hopefully the end goal, the end accomplishment is a lot more, a lot more food freedom.
2: Absolutely. I think one thing that really frustrates me is that it's so sexy and like cool to say like, oh, I'm gluten-free, I'm dairy-free, I'm this, I'm that. Yes. But like for people who are just like, oh yeah, I'll take, I'll take the pizza. Like that's fine. Just yeah. like what you eat, do you just eat? Like <laughs> That's not cool. <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, to di- people in diet culture. Right. So like including all foods is cool and
0: it is that's good for sexy. you
2: and it is sexy. Yeah. So let's, let's get more of that. <laughs>
0: Um, Emily, we can either cut this or add it based on what you want to what you feel like, but did your place, did they like sell like meal plans and stuff based off of the elimination or the, the sensitivity test results? So I wouldn't say they sold them. They
1: were definitely part of, it was a huge part of it though, where like yeah. they would push food sensitivity tests and it would come up with this huge list like this ridiculously long list of, these are the foods now you have to avoid. And what they would have us do was create meal plans for them. Um, There were like programs they got where they, is this sharing company secrets? This is not, this is very <laughs> generic. I don't, I think I'll be okay. Yeah, um, but generic. they would like got a specific program for this just because it's so you're like, what are they supposed to eat? and you would put in all the foods on their food sensitivity results. And then it would spew out this meal plan that was like, this this is what you can eat. I literally had a client that had multiple tests done somehow over like, there was like something food sensitivity related, but then there was something, I think it was like Candida related Just like a whole other gut thing. And then something else. And the list was so long that I literally had to make my own Word document of all the foods they could eat. And then a list of anything left I could literally think of because it was so long. And I was like, this is, this is obscure. I think one of the, the personal worst experiences that I know is happening out there is I worked with a child. Who mm-hmm. had this done and their list came back with all these foods that they eat normally. And like, I was working with the parents and they're like, the parents were visibly upset because they're like, these are what the kids eat. And in the back of my head, I'm like, yes, obviously I did. <laughs> I'm like, please eat these things. Mm-hmm. Like this test is not, it. I was like trying to say it in that like weird professional way where it's like, you mm-hmm. can't just outright say like, oh Yeah.
0: My employer is bogus. This is not
1: ethical. (laughs) Um, but like, it's okay if you eat these foods and they were like, I hope they're okay. But like, it was just, I could not imagine a child having to like deal with 10, 15 plus food sensitivities in quotes and the stress of that when they're growing and trying to learn what foods they like and just learn about food in general and they're being told they can't eat these things for whatever reason I don't even know what it was
2: yes one of my friends is an allergist like a physician um, and she works at Texas Children's Hospital and she runs into children being handed these sensitivity tests daily and she's like banging her head against the wall because she's like why are they taking these invalidated tests that just spit out bogus information um and like yeah even she said for people who get the like skin scratch tests and different like validated allergy testing from an allergist physician um they need to be interpreted with like their clinical judgment it isn't black and white Mm -hmm. it isn't very accurate so if you say that you experience they're looking at your clinical like clinical symptoms and what the test says and trying to figure out, you know, what's going on and where you could trial this elimination diet and reintroduction to see how you truly feel. So
0: yeah, it's hard. So hard and best case scenario, refer to a dietitian who has experience and knowledge about helping you navigate like your actual food intolerances or allergies.
2: Absolutely. And for those of you with IBS who Um, experience food sensitivities, number one, first and foremost, I believe you, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're not here to tell you and like what's it called, gaslight people and be like, no, your symptoms are not real. We just want you to possibly take a, um, like open your mind to the possibility that you aren't as reactive as maybe you have experienced in the past. A lot of IBS symptoms can be triggered by stress response And so that's where overcoming food fears can really help you in expanding your diet and understanding what you're truly like sensitive to.
0: I'm so glad you brought that up. That's so important. Like, even though we are saying that these certain tests, they're not valid, not to be really trusted. If you feel like all those foods listed off, you actually don't tolerate. We totally hear you. We want to help you better understand but again, the goal is food freedom, where you hopefully mm-hmm. can realize that a lot of those foods that maybe you do feel now are causing symptoms, maybe actually aren't causing as many as you think they are. Well, I think that's a good segue into our final piece of the day, which is we've talked about things maybe that don't work, things that aren't recommended, reasons why diet culture wellness culture just the worst ever, which our listeners that are not new around here, like, yeah, we get it, <laughs> but we always have to pick, put a new spin on it. Um but what are some like non-diety non-rooted in diet culture ways that our listeners can manage their IBS if they are struggling with that?
2: Yeah, so like I said earlier, making sure that you are working with either a therapist or a dietitian who can help you on your journey to healing your relationship with food first and foremost is going to be very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> um, practicing then gentle nutrition alongside a dietitian to really help you meet your nutritional needs, your fiber needs to support your digestive symptoms and um, find relief. And then there are a variety of non-diet approaches to help you manage IBS, right? Um, a GI psychologist can be very helpful and in, in, um, you can do CBT, ACT, There's also something called gut-directed hypnotherapy, which has been studied and researched to be as effective as the low FODMAP diet in managing IBS. So for people with this like visceral hypersensitivity in IBS, everything kind of causes their symptoms. This can really help set the stage of transitioning from always being in that fight or flight phase of your nervous system to the rest and digest phase. And that way, as you incorporate some of these practices with gut directed hypnotherapy, calm your nervous system, you're entering mealtime then with a lowered state of stress, which will then help you reduce your symptoms. Um, Diaphragmatic breathing has been shown to also reduce mealtime stress, which is awesome. It can be done anywhere. It is simply a deep breathing practice um, that you can look up. I think there are a bunch of videos on YouTube that you can check out. Um, Making sure that you're also looking at your relationship with exercise. We know that high intensity type of exercises can contribute to accelerated GI um, movements, right? So if you are running a marathon and you are like, oh my gosh, I have to diarrhea, which often happens, the runner's diarrhea, it's a thing so looking into how exercise impacts your gi sim- system focusing on more gentle forms of movement that you enjoy swimming walking yoga pure bar whatever um staying adequately hydrated and even meeting with a pelvic floor physical therapist if you are someone who has pain with sex has struggled with um constipation all their life um has had babies and you just feel like since then, things have not been normal. Pelvic floor physical therapist can do wonders in helping you relax those muscles to have a nice, smooth bowel movement. Yeah, and um, there's there's a bunch more things. Um, one thing that I didn't talk about was the FODMAP diet in detail. And the FODMAP diet is a elimination style diet where you eliminate these highly fermentable carbohydrates from your diet and then strategically reintroduce them to identify your food triggers and ultimately liberalize your diet as much as you tolerate. Um, However, it's not appropriate for everyone. So if you do struggle with the eating disorder history of it or disordered eating or any other co-occurring mental health condition, it may not be appropriate for you and that's okay. There's still a variety of things for you to focus on. You can even work with a dietitian who specializes in the FODMAP gentle approach, which is really less restrictive. It's lo- taking an assessment of your diet and seeing if you even eat any high FODMAP foods and offering some swaps that are lower in FODMAP. Just like, for example, if you are constantly drinking gallons of milk. And I recommend a lactose free milk or a plant alternative that might provide you with some symptom relief and you not have to do the full fledged FODMAP elimination style diet. So, yeah, lots All of right. options.
1: Yes, I, there's so many good nuggets of information there that you can start off with. And it can, hopefully, the options are not overwhelming, but hopefully, there was one that maybe you were, drew your interest or you just wanted to learn a little bit more about, you can definitely look into it more. And I'm sure also you have resources on your page as well, which we will plug that later. So they'll definitely have to check that out, but they can find out more there. So I think that's all things I could think of with with this topic. I feel like we did or Samina, you did most of the work. <laughs> we we were present for the the great time. Um, like we covered IBS, what exactly it was, how diet culture contributes, gave some great ideas on how to kind of manage it in a non-diety way. Um, do you have any last thoughts you would like to leave our audience with, though? Things we missed or anything that. You'd like them to take away from this the most.
2: Sometimes with IBS, it's not what you're eating specifically, but possibly how you're eating. So before you jump into changing everything, every single food that you are eating, look at the speed at which you eat. Are you always eating in between like meetings, rushing? Um, do you take? Do you skip meals? Are you? At a point where you can even access food regularly throughout the day, that is something that you need to prioritize first and foremost before even dissecting your diet to figure out what to eliminate. So, yeah, and that can come with, you know, focusing on that gentle nutrition approach.
0: It's so true. I feel like partly because of diet culture, if not fully because of diet culture, we often do tend to jump to like, what do we have to cut out? What foods do, we, do we need to eliminate? When there are so many other parts of the eating experience besides just the actual like food type that can impact so many things even beyond ibs and again that's where we come in dietitians that's toot our own horns but i love the idea to like challenge our listeners who are struggling with this to like think about those other pieces too and you mentioned like stress and anxiety how that can also present itself in like cause diarrhea and or constipation sometimes too Like there is, there is so much more to it than just our food choices. So I love that advice of digging a little bit deeper than that. Well, before we get into our bonus question of the day, let our listeners know where they can find you if they want to learn more. I am sure that our IBS listeners are like, heck yeah, I want to like keep hearing from her. So let them know where they can find you, anything you're offering, any services, your time to let them know what you got going on.
2: Yeah, if you are on social media, I'm on Instagram and TikTok at inclusive.ibs.dietitian. Um I post on there pretty frequently. And I am accepting clients in my 12 week IBS food freedom package where I help you find relief without getting sucked into diet culture. Um, You can head to my website www.wholesomestart.com to apply for your um, free discovery call and see if it's a good fit for you. And if you just want to dip your toes into to find relief from IBS without a side of diet culture, I do have a free guide. It's five ways to avoid IBS flares that you can also access um, from my website.
1: And we will be sure to link all of that in the show notes. So if you didn't get it now, you can just go check the description and go there. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. We know you aren't leaving quite yet because you're staying for the bonus question, but, and they're going to have to become go listen to the beat deeds to hear that. But To kind of wrap up the bulk of today's episode, Um, we really appreciated having you on. This is such a great topic for us to go over. We haven't, like Hannah said at the beginning, we never have really talked about this. And we've been searching for like a gut health person to, to come on for so long just because it's so prevalent online. And we will be referring to this episode a lot in the future. Because it's it'll be very valuable. So thank you for coming on.
2: Yeah, of course, of course. I feel like now that we're ending this, I have so many things that I want to talk to you
1: guys about. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have
0: to do a part two. We'll I'm do like, a part two. We
1: touch about. Yeah, yeah you gonna... can always come back. There, is, <laughs> there's, I'm sure there's going to be there's always going to be more stuff or something else wellness culture we'll think about and come up and you can chat about it. But we can definitely have a plat- part two.
0: We could, I mean, we could literally do a whole just gut health breakdown, like beyond IBS. I'm sure there is so much Smina, that you can educate on because it's so popular right now. And there's so much diet culture BS going on there.
2: Yeah. Especially with like
0: probiotics, you guys. You mentioned supplements earlier and I was going to ask about it, but I was like, do we even open that can of worms? (laughs) We definitely need to get into that because we don't have an episode on that yet either. So that would be a great a great, well, well, this is a promise part two, then you will be coming back on.
1: Yeah. So stay <laughs> tuned, everyone. You will be getting part two to all things gut health with Samina. Ooh, exciting.
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, for now you guys can find part 1.5 in the bonus question. We're going to be yes. getting into the best type of frozen dairy dessert. So that'll be a great time. We'll see you guys over there. All right. Thanks for listening guys. We'll see you next week. Bye guys. Thank you so much for tuning in on this episode of the Upbeat Dietitians with your hosts Emily Krause and Hannah Thompson. We appreciate you all so
1: much for continuing to support us. In order to support us and sustain the success of this
0: podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. If you'd like to provide us feedback for future episodes and guest stars, follow us on Instagram at the Upbeat Dietitians.
1: Lastly, you can show us support by providing a monthly donation using the link at the end of our bio.
0: Once again, thank you so much for listening today and stay tuned next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.